Before we get started with today's podcast, I want to tell you about a webinar that I'm hosting next Tuesday, the 22nd of June at 7pm British Summertime. It's called Building an Acquisition Strategy in Today's Property Market, the Six Buckets Method. We'll cover how to put together a simple property investment acquisition strategy to follow, to create long-term success, and how to make property investment decisions that always create growth, and finally, how to acquire good property investment deals, even in today's tricky market. If you want to come and join me, you're going to have to head on over to ncrealestate.co.uk forward slash June 2021. That's ncrealestate.co.uk forward slash June 2021. I cannot wait to see you there. Now, over to the show. Hello and welcome to the Honest Property Investment Podcast. My name is Natasha Collins and I'm the host of this podcast and founder of my firm, Surveyors NC Real Estate, which includes its members club for landlords and property investors to come and build profitable property portfolios that completely align with their goals. Today, I have an awesome, awesome, awesome guest coming up. Adam Vickers and I are going to talk about the property scams that are hitting the industry right now and how you can avoid them. It was one of my most requested subjects. So I can't wait to come to you with that. But first, my tip of the week, as you know, I always start the podcast telling you about something that I'm seeing. One of the bigger things, analysis paralysis. Is that you? Do you think about that? I think that property investors want to see investments or deals that are 100% perfect. And let me get this straight, that's never going to happen. There are always going to be problems with each property that you view. If there isn't, then chances are you're not going to get this higher yield with it. It's just not going to be as risky. So there's not going to be as much that you can do to take money out. So with the notion or the knowledge that every single deal that you look at is going to have a problem with it, that then starts you off by thinking, right, this is never going to be 100% perfect and that's absolutely fine. Instead, you've got to list all of the problems with this property and think, how are you going to get over those problems? Can you fix them? So if there is something wrong with the building, for example, structurally or just not well maintained, how can you do that up? How can you make that better? Is it going to cost you anything? Could potentially the commercial tenant be responsible? In which case, do you have to do dilapidations? You need to have a look at that. You need to have a look if it's vacant. How quickly is it going to take you to let the property? Is that going to be possible? Could you let the property between exchange and completion? In between exchange and completion, what else could you arrange? What else could you put in place? Is there a lease re-gear that you could do in order to, I don't know, make the property better? Make the property higher value? Is there anything that you need to speak to the seller about? Do you need to get a building surveyor in? Do you need to get drone footage? Is there money that needs to be spent? Architects fees, for example. What can you do to lower the risk that somebody else might not want to do? And that is the crux of it. 
That is where you are going to make the most money. You are going to see something in a building that you can do that no one else wants to do or could do themselves. And that's where you're going to make money. So again, I reiterate, there is always going to be problems with the property that you choose. It is for you to go out there and solve them. And that is where you're going to make money. So no more analysis paralysis. Stick it through your deal analysis. Get it 80% of the way there. And then for the most part, you're going to have to take some sort of risk. It needs to be an informed risk. You need to get surveys done if that's what you're going to get. You need to get rental values done. You need to go and have a look at the market. But you're never going to be 100% certain. So you need to decide what sort of risk you're going to take. All right. Now, let's move on with the show. I'm going to take a quick break with Lionheart and I'll be back afterwards with a day in the life of a surveyor. Lionheart is the RICS's own benevolent fund, a charity that supports members of the RICS and their partners. They were established in 1899, so they have over 120 years of experience in supporting the surveying profession. Lionheart is separate from the RICS and a totally independent organisation and registered charity. They help RICS professionals, the life partner of chartered surveyors, as well as APC candidates, and have also recently expanded their support to surveying apprentices and students. Now, you're probably wondering, how can they help? Well, they provide training in the form of free workshops and webinars, and they operate a helpline through which you can access different types of support. They have over 30 workshops and webinars and a range from financial well-being, career and personal development, APC and post-APC webinars. The helpline service is bespoke to each person who calls as they try to offer a sort of package or service that suits your needs. Some of the services and support that we offer are professional counselling, coaching for a particular issue or challenge, legal advice, help returning to work or developing career after a period of not working, financial grants and general support. All of their services are free and to find out more, please visit their website www.lionheart.org.uk. week's day in the life of a surveyor is Tim Kenny. He is a residential surveyor based in the South. Over to you, Tim. Your call has been forwarded to an automatic voice message system. At the tone, please record your message. When you have finished recording, you may hang up or press one for more options. Hello, my name is Tim Kenny. I'm an independent residential surveyor based on South Coast, trading as Tim Kenny Surveying Limited. Uh, generally carry out a mixture of pre-purchase condition surveys, a little bit of uh, plan and, and title work, and also some, some training and some teaching. Um, my typical day, I'm uh, independent, so I tend to work quite flexibly. I can sometimes do odd hours whenever that suits me, um, but I thought I'd take you through what I'm doing today, uh, which is generally fairly fairly average for me. usually start around 7 o'clock, because that's when I'm kind of probably at my most productive. I'm, I'm a morning person, so I tend to stick to, to hours that suit me. Um, usually start by getting myself ready for the day, getting my desktop research done for the property that I'm generally going to be looking at that day. Uh, quite fortunate in that I do a relatively low turnover of work, generally three surveys a week, which gives me plenty of time to, to research it thoroughly, 
investigate thoroughly, report thoroughly. Um, so yeah, I usually start with getting that, that desktop, desktop research done, making sure I know what I'm going to be looking at that day. I can understand the, the area around it and as much as I can about the property before I get there. Um, generally do a couple of hours work before stopping for, for breakfast and get myself sorted and ready to go out. Generally don't like to leave the house before, before nine, just because, you know, I don't think there's any, any benefit to sitting in traffic. Um, but then I will go, obviously, collect keys or, or straight to the property. This morning I actually went, to, went into town to get the keys. I actually had to drive further to go and get the keys than to the property itself, which is quite close to my, to my home. Um, but I say it's a uh, kind of quite a charming uh, barn conversion in a sort of a rural location. Um, and generally speaking, I will start outside. So as I'm speaking now, I've already completed my inspection of the outside and the grounds. Uh, generally, if I can, like to get that done first. Um, but it always depends on the weather. If it's gonna, if it's raining at the time, and I know it's going to finish late, finish raining soon, I'll generally do the inside first and come outside. Even if it's raining, I tend to do the inside first because you know you don't want to be dripping water all through the, the seller's home because it is still their home until they've sold it so you do have to treat it with with due respect um let's say yeah i will will carry on complete my inspection today probably going to take me another i don't know a couple of hours inside depending on what i see and what i find so far it's looking quite good and reasonable so i don't expect it to, to take too long but you know you've got to give it all the time that it, it needs and deserves in an ideal world then i would be back home and, and, and starting writing up as soon as I'm done. <laughs> Unfortunately, I'm also a, a business owner, so it never quite works out like that. Quite often there's obviously admin to do. There will no doubt be a, a couple of uh, inquiries and, and, and questions from previous surveys that I've done. Um, also, you know, dealing with things like quotes. Uh, I know it's been fairly fairly busy all year. It's just starting to, to maybe slow down a little bit now, but there will still no doubt be some inquiries and, and admin bits and pieces that I need to deal with. I'm always quite strict about not trying to do that while I'm at a property, I like to give it my full attention, so everything can wait till I get home. I don't have any admin support, so I have to do all of that myself, but I don't mind. kind of suits me. also allows me to give a little bit of a, a break before I then try and launch back into the property. Sometimes you do need to clear your head of what you're looking at so you can come back to deal with it properly. But yeah, after that, I will, generally speaking, start by going through all the photographs, all my notes, reviewing everything that I've looked at, and making sure I do fully understand what I'm going to be starting to report on and trying to tidy up those photographs, pulling out those ones that are going to be beneficial to include in the report for my client, those that will show them, you know, good evidence of what it is I'm talking about to make sure they can really understand uh, the nature of any defects that I'm trying to explain to them. Um, generally speaking, that will then kind of take me up, take me the rest of the afternoon. Again, I'm the kind of, sort of person I like to start early, but I generally sort of finish early as well because that suits me. Not always possible. Sometimes when you're busy, it does, does tend to drag on, but you know, we, we do what we need to do. Um, if I'm lucky then, I'm usually at home the next day. Let's say I try and work on a low turnover, which again gives me a whole day just to get everything written up uh, and done and, and, and sorted, which I think is a quite a nice balance for me. I say, you know, I'm, I'm spending kind of one day out and about and a little bit more active, another day a little bit more um, sedentary, but again, it's a, a nice suitable balance for me. Um, but yeah, giving myself sufficient time then to get uh, fully written up uh, and fully explain what, I'm, what I've seen on that property for the client. Um, again, again, as a small business owner, there is always going to be admin that comes in on that day, so I'm never getting to spend the full day on the on the property. But you know, again, we kind of have to you have to find those time and focus it. But you do also need to do the bits and pieces that are there. Um, so yeah, so that for me, that's kind of a, a typical day drifting into the second day a little bit but it's a, a nice working pattern that works for me thank you very much
everybody. Today I'm really excited. I have invited my good friend Adam Vickers back to the podcast. Hi Adam, how are you doing? I'm very well, thank you. How are you? Thanks yeah, for having thank me on the show. You. Of course, of course. Um, so today I've invited you for one specific reason because this mm-hmm. is a conversation that you and I have all the time and it is one of my most requested subjects. Mm-hmm. Property investment scams. Hey, everyone has a property <laughs> investment scam. Everybody. <laughs> Everybody. Yep. Where to begin, eh? As soon as you and I tend to have voice note conversations, WhatsApp conversations, when we've met in person, we talk about this all the time. What is going wrong in the market, where the scams are, where the scams aren't? We have those conversations. I thought you were best placed. Let's just have that conversation on the microphone. The only thing we're not going to do, guys, because I have not got time for any slander, any libel cases, we're not going to say names, right? I know that there's certain videos, people out there who have said names and have been happy to put that out publicly. That is fine because they have obviously spent a long period of time um, with their solicitors, making sure that they get that okayed. I have not. (laughs) so I'm just getting that disclaimer out there um Adam I don't know about you if you've got solicitors on your back whether you're going Uh, to get help but let's just not go with the names we will kind of dance around that and we'll tell you what scams we're seeing yeah and and exactly that we keep it quite generalized because there there are well there's enough scams in the market to be generalized about it I think you know a lot of people in the property industry even if they're fairly new you can you can pick up the smell and the flavor of a scam anyway it's just it's a rather interesting one with human behavior how you see a lot of people who are aware of scams or think that they found a scam but they have a tendency to push that push that almost emotional gut feeling away because you know they're promised riches or they're promised it's easy and so they kind of push that emotion of sure this is right it sounds too good to be true and of course that's where people get scammed and um, it's really unfortunate to see because it plays yes the scammer is is being a a scamming cheeky sod but at the same time it also plays on that that individual's fear of that they're not going to succeed in life or they may not have gotten as far as they've wanted to financially or career-wise or whatever and so that that you know plays on the individual's emotions of, of of feeling a bit potentially insecure and of course they they push their emotions to one side and go, yeah, I want to become a millionaire overnight. It'd be super easy. Um, and unfortunately, it's not. You see a lot of people lose a lot of money, mm-hmm. which is really sad to see. And of course, me running running my networking event for four and a half, five years, I see it all the time. And it's really, really sad to see. Mm-hmm. And and I suppose leading on from that as well, what's, what's, what's even worse is there's a lot of people who are very quiet about it. They lose their money, feel quite embarrassed that they've lost the money and they don't want to talk about things openly. And it's quite remarkable how often that occurs. So... Yeah, definitely, definitely a topic that needs to be spoken about more often. Yeah, I agree. I agree. So let's start with what are the five biggest scams you're seeing in the property industry right now? Um, and it can also be property investment adjacent. So if it's not quite mm. related to property investment, but it's in that field, what are you seeing? Well, um, I'll start off with, with probably generalised and then get more specific over time. I think one of the biggest the biggest generalized scam in property is that it's easy and that you can do it very quickly, right? And there's a lot of courses out there that promise the world. And, and my, my, for those listeners who aren't familiar with me, I, I was formerly a teacher. And so I uh, learned best practice in terms of educating people and, and, and what do you need to, to give to somebody to make sure that they're educated? You need to give them good amount of knowledge, explain it in a way that they understand. And, and primarily, you need to see that they're able to execute. 
And there's an incredible amount of mentoring programs and educational programs where they fit 100 people in the room. And at no point does the mentor or, or the people teaching the, the students ever go and assess those individuals, whether they actually recall the knowledge and whether they can apply it. So I see an incredible amount of people who are being, for lack of a better term, educated. And they're not being educated. They're being told high-level things. It's super easy. Just crack on and do it. It's all about mindset and willpower. Um, get over your fear and your demons and just crack on with it. And, and uh, the frustrating thing in property is it's not the big things that are difficult. It's not difficult to do your numbers. It's not difficult to see a deal and figure out below market value and above market value and so on. The hard part is, is the small, minor things like you might come across issues in covenants, uh, for example, you can't convert that office block to Resi, and it happens to be in the Covenant. Somebody's gone and bought the office block, and they, they realize too far down the line they can't convert it, right? It, it's, it's little things like that, or people buying in a floodplain. They haven't assessed it's in a floodplain. They've bought a plot of land with planning in the floodplain, or um, and they can't get insurance on the properties when they're going to sell them to first-time buyers or something like that. It's, it's, it's all these real like, kind of small things that can really scupper a project. So I suppose the first one, in a nutshell, generalized is, Property is super easy. You can do it overnight. No, you can't. It takes years of experience. You should rely on mentors who've got that experience. And likewise, you've got to remember it's the small things that will, that will um, catch you out, not 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 the, the big ticket stuff. But I have to ask you one thing, because this is also, mm -hmm. this goes hand in hand with this. Have you ever had a deal not gone wrong in some way, ever? Oh, it depends how you define as, as gone wrong, really. Well, some, something come up that you weren't expecting. Oh, yeah, all the time. That happens in property all the time. Yeah, 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 oh, all the time. And, you know, you're learning You're learning all the time in property. In, in, in 14 years of me doing it, I'm still learning stuff today. I mean, you, you, you have to build in margin to deal with error. Um, and that's the unknown unknowns. You're never going to know everything. Uh, but if you have good power teams, people you know, good mentors and supportive, supportive people around you, then, then you, can, you can overcome come issues all the time. But there is never, for me as well, there has never been a deal that I've been involved in that I've mm -hmm. mapped out in the beginning that yeah, never yeah. that has ever looked like at the end what we mapped it out to be. There is always yeah. ways around things which are tricky, complicated, unexpected. It doesn't mean the yeah. deal fails. It just means we have to figure out different solutions. And that is it's, something yeah. that can't be taught. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, you, 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 I always say to people, you have to be a bit of a glutton for punishment in this game. You have to enjoy problem solving. You have to be that kind of crazy kid who took a Rubik's Cube and tried to mm -hmm. like put it all together, right? And, um, and, and, and you have to keep getting back up again, learning. Uh, and and if, you, if you fail, or that's why I was saying when, when you say things going wrong, it depends how you perceive what wrong means. Does wrong mean total catastrophic failure? Well, probably. But things go wrong all the time. It's just you can quickly turn them around to make them right. And um, yeah, I totally agree with you. Start, stuff changes all the time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay, so second one. What else are you seeing? Well, I was going to pass that back to you, really. What would you say as a second oh, one? That one of the, the biggest problems that I see is that people are told that something is the only way of doing something. So, mm -hmm. for example, if you buy a commercial property, the only way of getting value out of that commercial property is to turn it into residential. Yep. There isn't necessarily someone out there that I've seen, well, hold on a minute, are we doing feasibility analysis? And yep. as surveyors, we're taught 
There is no right or wrong answer as long as you have looked at everything. And you've taken everything into consideration. We've costed it out. Now, by the time you finish something, yeah, Mm. the market may have changed, but we have to do enough of an analysis to know, okay, this is a possibility for plan A, plan B, plan C, plan D. And when I first talk to investors and when they come on as clients for my firm, the lack of understanding that it's okay to not have one outcome and not to do one thing with a building baffles me because mm-hmm. we're all taught that property is a liquid it's not very easy to change and I would strongly disagree with that maybe it's mm-hmm. illiquid to a certain extent but you can change it of course you can mm-hmm. and I think that's yeah. that's just lack of information and lack of people looking around the market and seeing what innovative solutions are coming up and not reading between the lines well i I think what you've got there is that you've got somebody wants the silver bullet without putting the work in yeah and the thing in property is the more problems you have the more money you generally make as a general general Mm -hmm. there's more options and exits right so what you're getting is you're getting somebody who essentially wants to do the the work of purchasing a brand new one build that new brand new build one bed flat essentially the work effort that's required to buy that and applying it to an office to resi conversion yep and so they want minimum effort maximum output and that just doesn't happen in property just doesn't um if you want to go buy your one bed flats and there is something to be said to buy one bed flats because they don't take up a huge amount of headspace and time and you want to build an army of them you know if, you, if you're working at home or you've got your job and you just want to park money then yeah they're probably the most passive you can get to uh or three, three probably three bed semi-detached houses you can have family staying them for years and they're freehold so you haven't got leaseholder issues and so on it's like super simple but like you say when, when you're going up in property you're you're once you've got a bit more experience, you probably get a little bit more bored of that that kind of stuff. And you want to go on to the more exciting stuff, stuff with, with challenges. And the projects that, that I personally invest in now are far more challenging than, than when I started off because I like the fact that there are numerous exits. I like the fact mm-hmm. that there's numerous ways that you could look at it. And whenever I'm working with JV partners on stuff, I always say to them, look, there's plan A, B, C, D, E, F, G. Plan G is the worst case scenario. Are you happy with plan G? And, and they go, well, I like plan A. And I go, yeah, I know you like plan A. I love plan A. I'm saying to you, are you happy with plan G? And they go, well, yeah, yeah, we're happy. I say, cool, if you're happy to me with plan G, everything else is an added bonus. And we're going to push for it. And things are going to work out. And occasionally, look, there's delays and there's like, delays in planning and a few other bits and pieces, right? So, so it doesn't always pull off in the same time frame as what you require. But provided people are happy with plan G and they've got the extra plans, then then you're going to have a fairly, fairly relaxed life relatively in, in, in property investment. Like what you're saying is, is you get people who go, well, we've got plan A. That's it. And my entire hopes and dreams are on plan A. <laughs> and I have to have a rising market with plan A. And it has to be one, one trick pony plan A. And then the market wipes them out. And I've seen numerous, numerous investors come into the, come into the uh, fray. Uh, everything they touch seems to turn to gold. And within three years later, they're either bankrupt or they left the country or they've done something else and, and they disappear. And it's because, yeah, they were one-trick ponies and, and it, they couldn't deal with the market in general in terms of it fluctuating. So, um, yeah, I totally agree with you as well. I don't know why there's this one-trick pony kind of mentality in the silver bullet. Because if it was that easy... You're not going to be learning it on a course. Somebody's going to keep it quiet and they're going to be rolling two, three hundred thousand pounds for the profit. 
of every office to resi that they could find if it was super easy why would you bother teaching anybody oh my gosh and it's almost and it's but that but that's one of the schemes isn't it you go to certain people and mm. they specialize in one thing and i think that that is marketing speak you know when you go and you 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 learn about marketing and they say you have to have your niche and you have to talk to one thing that you're an expert in and so with people who are training on property they say right i am the sa expert or i am the hmo expert and i just don't think in property that that gives you enough leverage to be able to cope with the multitude of different outcomes of property you only know how to do hmos once if that goes wrong yeah massively and and you're spot on with that and i think i think the thing that i've seen is that if you do specialize in a niche a niche in a niche you can you can scale quickly because you're doing one thing it's systemized you can operate it's just like you say well there's market risk and a lot of market risk you won't see coming did people see brexit coming probably not did people see donald trump coming into power probably not did people see a pandemic coming certainly not and so actually all, all the the only the only guarantee you can have really with the investment market is that it's going to go sideways up down left right and you've got no control over it and so for me whenever i'm investing i'm just assuming that the market's going to keep turning and going down i don't like trying to play the well the market's going to keep going up and let's forward plan 12 18 months into the future i'm, I'm quite a cautious investor in that regard um so i think i think niches have their place However, if you were entirely reliant upon that one niche and the market turns on you, do you have a good backup plan? And if you don't, then you're going to get chewed up by the by the machine very quickly. But that's that's like with most investment, really. If you just invested yeah. in, you know, uh, doggy coin <laughs> recently, then, then you realize it's got, you know, it's gone half, right? And and same with Bitcoin and all that kind of stuff. So if you had your entire life savings in Bitcoin and you bought them at 40 grand a coin or whatever and then now 25 grand a coin it's like well blame yourself don't blame anybody else and i think just as a side note i see that happen often people go and blame other people for their problems in investing i've seen people you know write messages to elon musk shame on you you caused my life to go into blah it's like no 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 you just shouldn't have put all your eggs in one basket you got it you got to grow up if you're going to play in the investment game agreed agreed okay so number three mm-hmm. Back to you. Oh, back to me. Um, what do I see in terms of scams? I think I, I say a scam. One of the biggest things that doesn't get spoken about in property is the time and headspace something takes up. So I think, for example, with um, service accommodation, people talk about there being like really strong profit margins, and they say you can earn like whatever per month, five, six hundred pound per month per essay, you know, whatever. Yeah, but. What they don't take into account is the amount of times you have to change the linen or the amount of times that you have to deal with a tenant who's going to go and smash something up at 12 o'clock at night or they're going to ruin you, your New Year's Eve or something like that. And so it's all good that they're saying you can generate X amount of money, but the time and headspace, what's that, what's that going to cost? Mm-hmm. And people very, very rarely cost that into the equation. And I think that is one of the biggest scams. If you just look at numbers, it's very easy to sell anything, isn't it? I'm sure, I'm sure if you worked at McDonald's for long enough, you could probably make a hundred grand a year. I mean, yeah. don't expect to have a life. If you're married, don't expect to have a marriage by the end of it. Don't expect your kids to know you. You make a hundred grand though. 
And so I see that in property all the time, uh, which is unfortunate because I think people, once again, they want that silver bullet. They go and invest. They go and think, oh, I'll take on these essays, rent to rent or whatever, stuff that's rather time intensive. And you talk to them and they say, yeah, I'm trying to build up a passive income source. It's like, well, it's not passive in the slightest. Pro property in, in general is not passive, but essay rent to rent, that kind of stuff is really, really time intensive. Mm -hmm. And then you'll hear people say, well, if you get a few more units, you can systemize the business. Yeah, but now you're growing a business. So you need yep. staff and you need to hire them and then PAYE and pension contributions and blah, blah, blah. So you know, that's five, six years down the line, perhaps. So it, it's I think that's one of the biggest scams in the sense of people make it sound, once again, far too easy and they don't take into account that time and headspace. And the vast majority of people want to leave their job and do property and spend time with their kids, with their family. And, and, and ultimately they don't. That's really sad to see because I've seen people packing their jobs jump in the deep end and yeah they're back in another job mm -hmm. well that's what it is isn't it? anything is another job until mm -hmm. you grow it to a certain extent you can you can afford to outsource and at that point then you've got a business that you can actually sell yeah but if you think about the, the businesses if we set property aside you think about the businesses with the highest values that's not because their founder CEO is down on the trenches, like yeah. working in it. It's because they have this asset that they can sell on. Yeah. And it's systemized, right? From the ground up. From the ground up, yeah. And that's the really important thing, isn't it? It's about saying, uh, you know, using that old yardstick measurement, which was if I got on a plane and disappeared for six months and I never picked the phone up, would the business still be generating income? And if it doesn't, you haven't got a business. You're just glorified self-employed, right? But if you can get up and disappear to Mount Everest without your phone signal on for six months and come back and it's generating that profit, then yeah, you, you have a viable business. You've got staff members, you've got systems and processes in place. So also for, for, for people who are thinking about coming into property, systemize your process from the get-go. Don't systemize yeah. it when you've got 10, 20 units. Um, or you done the hard way like I did <laughs> and you go back and try and systemize your business again and it takes you 18 months but yeah, you know, once again it's, it's all a learning curve right mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yep that's very true so yeah this passive income if you're a new investor this passive income doesn't and you and I always speak talk as well we're like the, we're the sort of people who like to work we like to be involved in things yes. we enjoy yep. more challenges and doing more and but we still have to be able to take time off because otherwise our yeah. heads are just like. Yeah, the, the, the thing about a business is, is and anybody who's got kids will relate to it, um, it it's your first child, your business. I, I don't view my business any different to my children. I've got two little ones, five-year-old and two-year-old, and, and I view it no different. It's, it's my first son-daughter kind of thing. And you're always going to be very protective of it. You're always going to work on it. So don't, don't come into the realm of running your own business thinking you get to sit on a beach for six hours a day. It doesn't happen. You get so addicted to work and what you enjoy doing, but you, you, you enjoy the hustle, right? And, and I think that's what you and I have very much in common, which is why we're probably both, probably both die with our boots on. Uh, so I, I think that, once again, is, is a bit of a myth, a bit of a scam that's, that's perpetuated throughout, which is, it's easy, it's hands off. Don't worry about it. Just do one office to resi and you make 300 grand and happy day, sit on the beach. Or if you are no. on the beach, like me, with my 5G hotspot still working. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> with, a, 
with the desk fan plugged in behind it, you know, <laughs> like into yeah. a USB to try and keep the computer cool. So it would go madness, absolute madness. Right. What number are we on? Number four? Number four, it's your turn now. Mm-hmm. Okay. What else am I seeing? Oh, don't buy into something that's not been built without doing your due diligence. All these buildings that are going up and then you're getting agents getting in contact with you saying, oh, this building's going to be launched in spring 2045. <laughs> yeah. If you put a deposit down now of half your life savings, it's going to be ready for you and it's going to be shiny and it's going to make this amount of profit. And seriously, the only reason developers do that is because they're trying to raise money. I would honestly, with the current market and the way that development finance is going at the moment, just stay well clear of buying something off plan or before it's been built, because a lot of development development finance is being pulled and it's being pulled because these development companies are way over leveraged. They're not finishing on other property projects. You could be paying into something and the company could be spending your money on another building. That's fraud. Mm -hmm. That is fraud. Yep. But these are the sorts of things that we're starting to see happen in the industry. And people who've bought bought into this previously often don't get the product product that they have been offered. They don't get the returns that that, that have been offered as well. Imagine you put up a block, 100 100 flats or 100 apartments in a block, and they've done that to every person who owns a flat. So now you've got 100 identical flats coming to market at the same time promised this guaranteed rent of whatever percentage that they've made up they might guarantee you the rent for year one because they can afford to pay you that then they pull out the managing agents pull out and what you're getting half that so please do your due diligence don't just listen to what people say because you could also exchange on it have to complete on it next year so you can't get a mortgage on it right now can't even apply for a mortgage until you're three months away realize the value's not there And then you have to make a horrible decision. Either you try and find the money somewhere, you bridge it for a higher value, or you lose your deposit. Yeah, we we saw this here in Reading. Um, There's a couple of um, apartments where foreign investors were trying to purchase them. Um, These flats they had agreed to purchase for 330. When the surveyor came out, once they'd been built, they valued them at 290. But they already put down, uh, I think it was a 10 or 15% deposit. So essentially, they couldn't get the mortgages that they were expecting. Um, and that if, if they were going to pull back out and, and get any of their money back, they had to kind of sell these units on. So there was this, this yeah, I mean, that they lost straight away from, from the back of it. And I think I can understand uh, from the developer's perspective in the sense that if they can get a load of them, um, a load of deposits in, then it's cheaper for them from the bridging finance perspective. Likewise, uh, they can show that they've part sold the site, et cetera, et cetera. So I, it's totally playing into the developer's um, hands and into their favor. I understand why they're doing it. It's just exactly like you say, it's at the other end when you suddenly get 100 units in one place. How are you going to guarantee the rents? And like you say, they yep. pay for a year. Well, of course, they're going to pay for a year because they haven't had to pay a load out in bridging finance. Um, So they can take the profits and hand it over to the investors. So it's not, is it rental income? Is it real market? Is it real world? Not really, it's fabricated. And yeah, I've seen an incredible amount of people lose money with with new build 
um, investment stuff. I think the only time when that new build investment stuff would probably pay off is once again, if you happen to be earning extremely good income per year and you haven't got the time in the headspace and you want to park some money into a development, which is all new build and, and it's going to cause you the least amount of headaches and you're not overly fussed about the return that you're making, then yeah, of course it's perfect because it's a no brainer. Um, mm-hmm. But that's not what most people do. And why would you? Why would you? If you're going to pay over the odds for stuff, go pay over the odds for gold and Bitcoin and everything else. Just go, just go pay over the odds for anything you want in life. That's not really investing, is it really? Nope. <laughs> crush fingers in your toes and hope the market goes up. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> That's, that's pipe dream. <laughs> yeah, pipe dream land. Yeah, fingers. Yeah, hope hope value on it, right? <laughs> okay, so number five. Oh, number five. Let's have a think of number five. Um, I think another scam. I say scam. I see it happen quite often when you get so rent to renters. So rent to renters with this whole guaranteed rent thing. Right. So me being a landlord, I've had the rent to rent letters. Likewise, I know people who who do rent to rent. I've got nothing necessarily against rent to rent. I do have um, an issue with people saying that they're going to guarantee the rent. Right. So if I get a rent to rent letter, it says, yeah, I guarantee the rent. I'm going to pay you all the time, blah, blah, blah. I'm going to go and look at that company. It's only been formed for the past two months. And I'll look into the background of the individual of that company and realize that they've had a CCJ three years ago for not making payments i'm going right well your guaranteed rent doesn't mean anything right because i've done the due diligence i've seen landlords who go yeah i've managed to get a property with guaranteed rent i'm going well have you have you have you looked into the rent to renter oh no they just told me they can do guaranteed rent i'm like yeah well what happens if their company collapses oh well i'll sue them yeah but their company's two months old what are you gonna sue them for and the process takes a real long time so they think they can just take them to court and i'm going well go for it the company's got no asset value got no no nothing on the balance sheet um so, so i see that scam happening all the time and once again the, the unfortunate thing is is i don't think people are doing it maliciously i think the rent to renters seriously think that they can offer guaranteed rent i really do i think i think they are trying to make it work but there's a lot of rent to renters who are not familiar with the industry or they can't deal with the ups and downs so if you hmo rooms you can't fill them all you can start to get impacted financially quite heavily mm-hmm. or it, like we've noticed in the pandemic there's been at least in reading there's been some reduction in the in the values of each room so that that in itself i don't think the rent to renters are out there to scam i think they are out there to do a, a great business but they're, they're not doing their numbers and their figures with worst case scenarios in play they're massaging the numbers and likewise i see it with landlords as well and landlords are just to blame as well because they see a rent to renter come in who's bright-eyed bushy-tailed new and they take the mick oh what three grand a month for a six-bed hmo and i say to the landlord you might get your three grand for probably two to three months but you do want that you know as well as i do that that business isn't going to succeed they're not going to make the mm-hmm. profit margins and they're either going to have no cleaners in there or the wear and tear is going to be higher or they're going to get crappy tenants in there and eventually you're going to have to repossess the property anyway oh yeah but i make three grand a month for the next three months so they're willing to allow that rent to renter to crash and burn as well so i i see that happening from both sides and it's it's really unfortunate to see so I think with rent to rent, if you're thinking of going into rent to rent, it's really important that when you do your numbers, you don't massage them, put your contingency budgets in, make sure that you are protected and work with a landlord who's willing to see your business flourish. It's essentially a partnership. You're working with the landlord, they get a guaranteed rent. 
why would you not work together? And um, so I think that's another scam I see quite often, unfortunately. And I see a lot of people who are making wafer thin margins, 100 quid, 150 pound a month for running a six foot HMO. Oh, going, no. Time, time and headspace didn't get taken into account. And they're locked into three to five year agreements as well. Don't do it. Don't offer I mean, a three to five year agreement. It is you know, great. Offer a it's... six month or something like that. You know, a six month break clause in there. If you've got a landlord who understands you. They're going to say, you know, you say to the, if you're rent to rent, you say to the landlord, look, I want to make sure that this is a viable business. I don't mind signing a three year contract, but I want a six month break clause. We need to see if this works. And if you've got a reasonable mm-hmm. landlord, they go, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I want to see that you succeed. I succeed. And happy days. Yeah. And if you get a landlord who says no, run for the hills. So it's a bit, I blame more landlords on that than, than poor old rent-to-renters, really. <laughs> yeah, and I think also start looking at who, I mean, there's certain guaranteed rent schemes that I would always let to, charities. Charities with a large financial standing. Yes, yes. Go for it. And there's right. plenty yeah, of yeah. those around. Local council, fabulous. But yes, again, due diligence, right? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's it's always doing due diligence on the person that you're working with. Do they have a reputation? Do they have something to lose? Are they are they are you able to sue them? That's what it comes down to. Mm-hmm. Fundamentally. Yeah. yeah. And if you can't, you're gonna lose out. Yeah. All right. So those are the top five things we're seeing in the industry. Is there anything we missed, do you think? Yeah, there's probably tons we missed. <laughs> it's like I, I think, regardless of what you're doing, the scams always stem down to I think just a real high level. You're only ever going to get scammed if you don't do enough due diligence, and to a certain degree, don't trust your gut. And if you don't trust yourself and you push forward without having your exits lined up, then you're going to get scammed end of regardless of what it is in life it doesn't even have to be in property right it could be in bitcoin or it could be in forex or stocks and shares or something like that yeah. and also i think you have to if you're going to invest in something you have to be willing to to at least lose what you've invested i think that's another really important thing i see unfortunately loads of people like plow life savings into like their first project or something like that as their first deal and i'm going no 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 put in like 20 percent of your savings you know, I always use the saying, if you lost your money today, would you be on beans on toast tomorrow? And if they say, yeah, I would be on beans on toast, I'm going, it's ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous. Start smaller. Yeah. yeah. Only play with what you can afford to lose, really. And if you stick to those principles, then you should be fine. Do you know, actually, I've had another thought of another one. Pe- mm-hmm. When people don't tell you the truth about what they've done. Yeah. That for me frustrates me, or they don't know. They don't know what they don't know. Yep. Scary. Really, really scary. People who often say to me that they're regulated. Oh, do you get that quite often then? Someone said to me that they're regulated, and I was like, by who? And they said, Mm. the ICO. And I was like, the Information Commissioner's Office is your regulatory body. Yeah. Oh, okay, right. No, 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 no. We're not even playing because 
you don't understand what regulated means. Yes. That's just GDPR. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Get my get my credit card out for 35 quid and register for a year. Yeah. It's um yeah, and and I think I think see it's a double it's double-edged sword though, right? So I think there are people out there who are more confident generally as characters. And I think sometimes you'll get people who who think they know it, but they don't know it. And they're coming with the best of intention. Likewise, you'll get other people who, um, like like that example, where they think they're regulated by the ICO, um, or that's their regulatory body. And you kind of got, you got to get a little bit worried because it depends on what they were trying to do. I mean, if they're trying to talk about commercial, which is which is you know, harder than residential and has a lot more uh, legal framework to it, I would say, that's a worrying thing for somebody to be saying if they're playing in the realms of commercial, right? Yeah, well, that's, that, what they that's were. a red flag already. Yeah. They said that they were regulated like I was regulated. It's like, uh, yeah, right. No, yeah, no, not if you're, you're no, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you're not. No. And every time I asked them, Are you a firm of surveyors? they were like, Well, I'm regulated. It's like, Come on, yeah. Natasha. Come on, I'll spend my 35 quid and I'm just as regulated as you. Rick's qualified, eh? <laughs> you doing? It's like years of study, constant review every year, professional body, 35 pounds on a credit card. Clearly, we're evenly matched. True. Shame on you. <laughs> I shouldn't have said anything. Should not have even yeah. got annoyed by it. Should not yeah, have yeah. <laughs> told them that they were wasting my time calling me because they yeah, didn't even yeah. know whether they were regulated or not. Um, yes so it's people trying to be something that they're not and it's okay not to know stuff yes I I think do you know I but that's the thing in this industry as well which is which is really hard I think there's a lot of people who think you need to know everything all the time that's what I was saying earlier on you'll see people who make mistakes and they're too afraid to call it out they think they are the thick ones they think that they did something wrong and you see people get scammed. I mean, I know of quite a few people I've helped recently who've been scammed hundreds of thousands of pounds to people who've who've absolutely mimicked that they know what they're talking about and they have absolutely no clue what they're talking about. I mean, we're talking, you know, half a million quid level worth of people who've lost that kind of money. Uh, it's not public. There are people who have been in tears. I've had people cry on my shoulders, people who've nearly lost marriages over it. Um, it's it's absolutely devastating, and that's that's the hard part of being a host of a, of a of a property meet. You get to hear about these horror stories, and people take a lot of courage to come up and talk about it as well. So I think definitely it's it's that double edged sword because people who have been ripped off need to talk about it more, and they need yeah. to call these people out. And you know that you know talking about this whole defamation thing, um, I'm a bit of a red rag to a bull uh, in the sense that if if somebody had ripped somebody off and there was quite clear evidence, I don't think I'd have an issue with calling them out um, because. Because these scammers will use the idea. They will say, oh, if, if you call me out on the 100 grand I've just lost you, I, w- I will sue you for defamation. And they, and they scare these people. They, they, they scare the, oh, the people they sure. borrowed the money from and scam them. And, and it's, yeah, I've seen some, some such devastating consequences uh, mentally for people. Uh, it's really, really sad sight to see. That's actually very true. And I will mm. say that if anybody has been caught up in it, please go and see your solicitor. Right? Yep. And there's plenty of legal aid out there for this kind of thing. Um, if you're a surveyor who's listening to this, there is legal aid out there for you. 
for definite Lionheart mm. will give you legal aid that's free I've used it before um and for anybody who's not a surveyor there is still legal aid available all you need to do is get in contact with your solicitor and ask them where to get the legal aid from and that is such a big help don't suffer in silent and silence and think that you aren't um you've got no comeuppance i mean for investors who've lost hundreds and thousands of pounds the first place i'd go is the fca yeah I, I, it's an interesting one with the fca wouldn't you and just just uh, it past them do you know what maybe i'm going to talk out of turn there i'll probably get the fca <laughs> breathing down my neck now um the the real frustrating thing is is that you can lose a fairly large sum of money personally and when i say large sum of money that in the tens maybe hundreds of thousands and i get it because there's a lot of regulatory boards they've just got there's just too many scams going on they can't keep up yeah but exactly. I've, I've been scammed before you know about ten thousand pounds out of a particular deal uh, when i was first investing and I spoke to, it was actually in a separate business entirely. And I spoke to the police about it. And they agreed it was a it was a fraud case. But they said to me, sorry, we don't have the resources and we're not going to pursue them. And that was really hard for me to swallow because I said to them, well, I know where they live. I know what they do. Mm. They've ripped me off. You've agreed it's fraud. You're not going to do anything. No, we don't have the resources. And I remember saying to the police officer, well, if, you know, if I took a bat and went and smashed £10,000 worth of their windows up or something, would you come and lock me up? And they said, oh, yeah, we would. And we're going, well, so, so they've just openly defrauded me. You've admitted that they've openly defrauded me, and yet there's nothing I can do. And they said, yeah, I'm afraid you have to get civil with it. I mean, luckily, I hunted this person down to the end of the earth, collapsed three of his businesses, and, and CCJ'd him to the nth. But it, it, took, it consumed so much of my headspace and time. Um, and, and luckily, now I've played in small claims a number of times. I'm, I'm quite familiar with it it doesn't take up emotional headspace for me i would love to say that people like the fca and the police would I, I wish they would do more to help smaller investors out and when i say smaller i mean people who lost hundreds of thousands of pounds and and unfortunately i don't think they do um but and, and once again it, it's not that bad it's just they don't have the resources right and i think the more people that complain to them about it though the more that they would do can you imagine if 10 different investors came together and they said to the FCA, I was yeah. never checked. I never signed anything. So it was high net worth or sophisticated investor. Yes. I was led yes. to believe that I would get this return. Yes. I mean, it's not going to be good on the industry at all, but can you imagine how quickly they would come down on that? And yeah. all it takes is people banding together to do that. Now, yes, I haven't lost a huge amount of money to investing in somebody. I've lost a huge amount lost 15 grand on a deal and yep. that was from trusting someone who I should never have trusted that was a mm -hmm. inexperienced sourcer who mm -hmm. wouldn't let me salvage my own deal mm -hmm. yeah. um, and I'd gone out to I they'd bought me a property it was a great property it would have been a good property to do a deal on had the surveys done needed to negotiate down slightly um, and I'd put down a holding deposit to hold this property, mm. thinking that I'd be able to renegotiate on it if the surveys came back. Anyway, this saucer had obviously 
promised the seller something and I was now saying we can't complete on that it's just a it doesn't work um, and at mm. the same time I had dodgy lenders as well so it wasn't just the sources problem but I could have salvaged that part of it but I had this going on behind it as well mm. and we put this money down we were trying to negotiate on it I was trying to get a discount on it the sourcer would not share with me the details of the person that they were negotiating with and they wouldn't even mm. give the solicitor <clears throat> those details either so we were dealing with the solicitor and we were dealing with the seller solicitor. No one would give us contact to the, to the seller to salvage this deal. Um, and in the end, we lost the money. The seller took the money and we had to pull out because we just we couldn't, in good faith, complete on the deal. Yeah. And not only that, but the, the bridging lender that we were going to use then sued me for not completing. So I had, was being yeah. sued here. I had a sourcer who wouldn't do their job. And I'd lost the money. And I said to the sister, like, if, you, yeah. if you make a penny out of that, I will come for you and I will tell yeah. everybody on the internet who you are and not to use you. Yeah, sure. Sounds like a back-to-back -back deal. Mm -hmm. Sounds like they secured a price. They were trying to sell it. They didn't want you to get to the seller solicitor. That's probably what happened on that one. Yeah. Yeah. And and yeah. that was in 2016. Not going to do that ever again. I mean, you learn a lesson. I, well, I, and you know, it's interesting you say it because I think, I think the other thing is, is that there's a cost to, cost to the theme park you know ticket cost the ticket to the theme park and and that in investing in general was getting a few scars and battle wounds and those are financial financial and um mental uh ones you and it builds up thicker skin and you learn from it um, but this is exactly like, like you're saying earlier on this is the type of stuff you can't learn in the classroom you learn it <laughs> when you're in the field and it doesn't matter how much experience you've got the, you can still get caught out because there are so many variables at once so Going back to what I was saying earlier on, is there's too many people who want to go for that. Hey, it's a buy to let. It's simple for me to understand, but it needs to be an office to resi, and I need to make three hundred grand in a day. And it's like no, no, no. <laughs> there's tons of variables and tons of different outcomes that none of us are going to ever be able to completely pin down. You just got to be adaptable and make sure that you've got contingency plans and budgets. And look, at the end of the day, you look at look at yourself. You're here to live live and tell the tale. It hasn't wiped you out. Take it on the chin, crack on and move on to the next next one, right? And learn from and it. And that's it. Resilience. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> a property investor has to be resilient. Exactly. It doesn't even just happen at the time that you buy, right? It happens mm. at when you've got tenants in place, when the ceiling yeah. falls through, when you've got people screaming at you the whole time mm. and you are enemy number one. Yep. No. And tenants will do that. And it's absolutely fine. Yeah, you know? So, yep. You have to just pick up and deal with it. Yeah, absolutely. So I think one final thing, one final question mm. for you. How can we get around this? How do we make sure that, um, you know, things, things don't go wrong, we don't get scammed? What would you say the best way of dealing with this is i think the best way to not get scammed is the more information that you can get and the more you can watch how somebody or a company acts over time is the best way so if you're looking to invest with a deal source or watch them from afar for six months to a year uh, if you're looking to get educated look at the, the company for a period of time look at the people running it um, see how they act are they working day to day 
Are they willing to show you the numbers? Are they willing to show you what's gone wrong? Um, that's another big one. Is every, if everything looks shiny and golden and there's been no mistakes, uh, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't trust it with a barge pole either. So mm-hmm. I think it, it's, it's having patience, and that's a hard thing for investment. A lot of people want to jump on stuff and get it done quickly, um, whereas a bit like with Warren Buffett, he's been going for years. He's patient. He invests wisely, and it, uh, that, that is the kind of mentality that you need to have with property as well. You need to know when to execute, but you need to know when to be patient. And I'd say the property is like 85% patient and 15% fast execution that comes around to it. And, and so I think if you're, yeah, anything you're looking into, be patient, do your due diligence, watch people from afar, watch their body language, watch what they say, join groups that are free um, and don't believe the hype. Every single time you see a deal that looks amazing, the best thing you can do is put your negative Nancy hat on and go, how do I break this deal? I'm going to break it and put a PowerPoint presentation together breaking it. And if you do that, what you'll then end up with is your happy, optimistic side going, yeah, it seems like it stacks. Your negative Nancy side, and together you will come together with like a quite a balanced viewpoint. And so mm-hmm. every bit of information I'm ever given uh, from anybody, any advice or any deal, I will naturally go to the negative section uh, first, do that. If it looks okay, there's a couple of issues we could overcome. I'll go to the positive side and usually come out with a far better, more balanced approach. Mm-hmm. 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 That's brilliant advice. On that note, Adam, thank you so much for coming on the thank podcast well. today. Yeah, I hope everybody great. who's listened has enjoyed it. If you have, don't forget to rate and review and subscribe to get this podcast straight to whatever platform you listen to on a Tuesday morning. Thank you for listening to us today. I cannot wait to catch up with you again soon.